It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. The Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. The week's most interesting interviews with senators, commentators, and newsmakers. Giving you a replay just in case you missed it. The Guy Benson Show. Jonah Goldberg, editor-in-chief of thedispatch.com, a Fox News contributor, author of multiple best-selling books. And Jonah, it's good to have you here. Always great to be here, my friend. So I spent much of the first hour on the show. I I know you were listening because you listen every day, all three hours. Uh, But in case for some strange reason you may have missed it, Jonah, I spent much of the first hour talking about how I found out over the weekend that I am now one of these much-discussed breakthrough cases of COVID. I tested positive. I'm fully vaccinated. I feel fine because of the vaccine, frankly. It's extremely, extremely mild. I'm, of course, isolating just for the sake of other people. And I feel like 90% good. I also still feel that some of these mask mandates for vaccinated people are silly because as soon as I started to feel a little bit off with a runny nose and a tickle in my throat and a cough, I started wearing a mask on my own volition. No one told me to do it. I decided this is probably the better part of valor, that I'm going to go get tested as soon as I can. And the test came back. Positive, and I wasn't going to get tested except I was about to attend a big event with a lot of people, some of whom may not be vaccinated. I just, these are the decisions that I think citizens of a free country who are responsible, empathetic adults can make for themselves. You have written now a few different times on social media. I read some of your column on Friday over the air about the mask mandates and why you're basically done with them especially in my mind, for vaccinated, asymptomatic people, I I completely agree with you. If you would lay out your argument why, because I know immediately there are going to be people stomping their feet saying, here go these conservatives again, uh, you know, denying science, and they're going to get people killed. And this guy even had a breakthrough case, and he still doesn't believe in masks. Um, If only it were that simple, Jonah. Right. So first of all, um, I'm sorry to hear that you got sick. I have every confidence that You'll be fine, given A, your age, B, your generally good health, and C, that you were vaccinated. Still, I think it's regrettable that when news came out today that you were sick, that the stock market went down. Um, it's, just, <laughs> it's a testimony to your to your influence and your role. In my influence. Society. It's true. Uh, look, I, I, <laughs> as I wrote in my column last week, I, am, I have been very, very middle of the road on all of this stuff. I criticize people who turn masks into some sort of virtue signaling thing that proved that blue state Americans were more morally serious. And I criticized people who rejected masks, you know, in total because they claimed that it was a sign of tyranny and oppression. I thought both positions were sort of silly. I am neither a maskophobe nor a maskophile. I think they're just simply tools. And it sounds like you're using it the way a reasonable, normal person would use use it as a tool. Like, you don't want to. You, you think you're sick. You, you don't want to be contagious. You know, wear a mask. Stay away from people. I wish. You know, I, I'll get get to my larger point in a second. I do think it's worth keeping in mind that the people who are most likely to be unvaccinated are also the people to are most likely not to wear masks. That's uh, right. There's a weird way in that 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 works, and it's and it's weird on both sides again because 
the people who are most likely to wear masks are also the people who are most likely to be vaccinated. There, it's just a, we live in a strange time. All of that said, there's just not a lot of evidence that there are a lot of people, there are a lot of vaccinated people who, A, get the, get the virus, B, get enough of the virus that they become sick, never mind contagious. And um, asking everybody to wear masks again strikes me as just a major step backward. And look, I can criticize people who are irrational about masks on either side of the issue. At the end of the day, it's just an objective fact that these things are socially disruptive. They drive people crazy. The whole incentive structure for getting vaccinated was to get back to normal. And at this stage, if you're not vaccinated, um, barring some very rare medical or religious objection, um, that's on you. And the idea that we have to go back and towards the, back towards the regime of mask wearing is, 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 is just, it's terrible politics. It's terrible. I mean, it's, it's, and it's a terrible signal to, for people to get vaccinated. And, um, and, the, and it'd be one thing if the science were there, but the science isn't there. And moreover, the extent that the science is there a little bit for kids um, it's still incredibly unlikely that kids are going to get sick, that kids are going to get hospitalized, never mind kids are going to die. It's very unlikely that vaccinated people are these major vectors for the disease. This is fundamentally a pandemic for the unvaccinated at this point. And we were originally told that we need to do all, take all of these measures, including lockdowns and whatnot, to avoid overwhelming the hospital system. Well, except for in a handful of places, there's no danger of the hospital systems being overwhelmed. In D.C., I think there are eight people in the hospital with COVID, and now we've got a new mask mandate. It's just, it's just yep. silly, and it's, it's, it's pandemic theater, and the long-term consequences of, that, of it, I think, far outweigh the health benefits that you get from it. And in D.C., the woman who imposed this insane mandate clearly doesn't even believe that it's necessary because she didn't abide by it immediately after it went into effect. I mean, it's it's really hard to convince people, oh, yes, uh, we, ha- we have to do this, and we're changing the rationale, and we're shifting the goalposts again. You must do these things that you hate, and then turn around literally the next day and not do the things yourself. Exactly. And, you know, I, I find, you know, it, it goes back to Gavin Newsom going to French Laundry. The, uh, there are very few elites, I think, across the ideological spectrum who have behaved well during the pandemic. But that doesn't mean that some people don't deserve extra blame because it's their job to behave well. You know, Governor Cuomo, I I was very reluctant to criticize him in the beginning because this was strange new territory and we didn't know what was going on and we lacked information in a playbook. But then it became very clear that Cuomo had lied about what he did when he did it and how we did it to preserve his political standing and to preserve his book sales. And that's outrageous because concealing information is incredibly dangerous during, a, during that stage of the pandemic when everybody was trying to figure out what best practices were and he was minimi- minimizing the damage that they did. I think, I, I think some of the demonization of Anthony Fauci goes way overboard, but I think at a minimum, he has not been the effective communicator, neither has Rochelle Walensky, that we should, yeah. should expect. And, you know, at some point, maybe it's unfair to those two, but at some point when you lose credibility, 
the issue is not fairness to an individual, but what is the best means of communicating to the general public? And I just think that they've they've fallen down on the job on that. Jonah, before we shift to another topic, I've seen this argument floating around because I talk about kids on COVID like they are basically zero risk, by which I mean they have statistically effectively a 0% chance of dying from COVID if you're under the age of 18. And that's what we've seen in this pandemic. 335 kids have heartbreakingly died with COVID over the last year and a half in a country that has 75 million people in that age cohort. And in all likelihood, the real number among those 335, 337 is even lower that in terms of deaths that were actually caused by COVID. Statistically, it's, it's not a comfort at all to those families, but it is a virtually non-existent phenomenon, chi- a child death from COVID. And you get a lot more kids dying from drowning or even from pneumonia during that period of time. And when I talk about that, people freak out and they say, well, you just, you're callous, you don't care about dead kids. If we can save just one life, then masks in schools should be all of this stuff, right? And I just, and Mary Catherine Ham was tweeting about this earlier, it is not realistic. It is not a mature way to talk about any of this, right? We could say, well, if we really care about kids' lives and if we could just save one life, let's ban pools. Pools, swimming pools are not allowed anymore because some kids might drown. This is no way to live a life or to run a society or to craft policy about things. And it's frustrating when you try to be rational and people say, oh, well, you just don't care about dead kids. No, it's absurd. I mean, if it saves just one life, it's worth it. Rhetorical trope, which comes into the gun debate all the time as well, is nonsense. If we truly believe that any public policy that would save one life was justified, we would make the speed limit five miles an hour. Um, we would ban kids from cars because twice as many kids die in cars every year than those 335. And again, those 335, which all are tragedies, every every single kid dying for any reason is a tragedy. But the data on what their comorbidities were and that kind of stuff is very unclear. And right. the reality is, again, this is part of it sort of gets, gets the Basiat seen and unseen stuff. We can see, you know, people say, well, we have to save these, you know, even one kid's life and it's worth it. But they don't put on the other side of the ledger the huge uptick in uh, suicidal behavior by teenagers. They don't put, a, a, you know, on the other side of the ledger, the drug overdoses, the alcohol overdoses. They yep. don't uh, put in abuse. You know, what I think will probably get the abuse. I'm sure we're going to get horrifying numbers about abuse from all this. Because, look, I mean, at the end of the day. This is something I think people are really losing sight of. This pandemic, I mean, our brains are not wired to handle pandemics well. And all things considered, I think, you know, it's shocking how well most people handle it. But there's a huge uptick in road rage, huge uptick in unruly passengers on planes, huge uptick in customers being rude to uh, uh, at restaurants and whatnot. I think a big part of the crime, yeah, the defund the police stuff is part of that story, too. But so is so are the lockdowns in the pandemic. People are losing their minds with all of this. And when we say, well, we've got to keep it going to protect some unquantifiable minuscule number of kids who may also be just as vulnerable to the cold or the flu, 
Right, there are trade-offs that they the never want to talk the about. Side. Right, and and they they try to frame you as a monster for even thinking about the trade-offs, which again is is neither realistic nor mature nor serious. Quickly, Jonah, we have about two minutes left, maybe three if we push it. Your overall thoughts on this infrastructure deal, the bipartisan deal that's moving through the Senate right now, the looming reconciliation battle, where it seems like the liberals are are at each other's throats there. What do you make of this? And are the Republicans smarter to maybe go along with a bipartisan plan or to wash their hands of this whole process? Yeah, so this is a tough one for me. I mean, I'm against all the infrastructure stuff, basically. I think it is lunacy at a time where we have particularly possibly nasty inflation coming and we've spent trillions of dollars already. I mean, I think if this thing passes, we will have likely spent in this year something like the entire 2019 federal budget. And um, I don't think that our roads are falling. Yeah, I don't think that our roads are falling apart. I don't think, I mean, I guess there's infrastructure money to be spent. But if you're going to do an infrastructure thing, doing it on, quote, unquote, hard infrastructure in a bipartisan way, that is more desirable to me than in, in other ways. Where I, where I really have to get off the bus with Republicans on this is if, in fact, as a lot of our friends are suggesting, and they may be right about this, this is just basically setting up the Democrats to do all the soft infrastructure stuff through reconciliation and if this is basically a way to bribe Republicans for some good press releases in exchange for another two, three, four trillion dollars in money we don't have and can't afford to spend, then it's just it's truly folly. And shame on all of them if we end up having crazy inflation. Shame on all of them for visiting this on my grandkids. Should I ever have some uh, because of the debt that we're accumulating um, I just think it, they, the, the process has been so backwards where we start with a conversation of how much money we're going to spend rather than a conversation of what we need right. to spend it on. And then fill in the blanks. It's like, okay, here's the top yeah. line. Let's fill it in. They finally produce an actual bill, 2,000-plus pages, and at the very least, I would like them to all stop and read it and figure out what's in it before they take even one more vote on this, even procedurally on this. And then they have to make it. It's, it is a tough call for a couple different reasons, and we've covered both sides of that debate. But it does seem just taking a step back, like not just folly, but insanity with the inflation we already know about and the amount of money that's gone out the door, most of which we don't actually have, that we've printed or borrowed, to say, yes, let's figure out ways to spend trillions of of more dollars, partially on a bipartisan basis, partially not. It's like, what are you guys doing here? But these are the ways of Washington. Jonah Goldberg, our colleague at Fox News, editor-in-chief of The Dispatch. Always appreciate it, Jonah. Great to be here, my friend. Get better soon. Thank you. I I feel fine, but I appreciate it. With that, we'll step aside. Be right back. It's The Guy Benson Show. That was this week's edition of The Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. For more Guy Benson Show, go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. 
Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.